Welcome to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. I'm Bailiff Jesse Thorne. We're in chambers this week, clearing the docket. And with me is the kangaroo of the kangaroo court himself, Judge John Hodgman. Oh, you'll have to forgive me if you hear a steady drip, drip, drip. Every gutter is dripping here in Park Slop, Brooklyn. We got soaked. <laughs> oh, 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 that's fun. Park Slop. Oh, yeah, I know. I just came I just came up with that today. I'm sure I'm sure I'm not the first. Another Bombo Genesis hit us. Jesse, I just have something I need to say. I got a letter from Suzanne Dropkin this week, and you may recognize the last name, but not the first. Over the years, I've told the story of my childhood friend, Joe Dropkin. Jesse, back when I was eight, the movie Alien came out. Did you ever see the movie Alien, Jesse? An amazing movie. Yeah. Great movie. It's a great movie. Is it suitable for an eight-year-old, would you say? Not at all. Not no. the slightest. No, R-rated movie. And- Very scary. Very scary movie. And I did not see it. When it came out, but somehow around that time, for some reason, my entire extended family intuited that I liked the movie Alien, even though I could not see it legally. My dad gave me the Alien comic book adaptation of the movie by Archie Goodwin and Walt Simonson. It's absolutely brilliant. It was published by Heavy Metal Magazine. It's a great comic book adaptation of a movie that is beautiful and terrifying and wildly inappropriate for kids. And I, and as a, as an eight or nine year old, I read this. I'm like, I shouldn't be reading this. And then the following Christmas, I received an alien action figure for Christmas. Did you know there was an alien action figure? I've talked about it before on the podcast, but I, I might have to bring some people up to date on this. Jesse, do you know about this thing? Is it an action figure of the alien from the movie Alien? <laughs> yeah. To, yeah. 20th Century Fox thought, hey, you know what? Star Wars was a big merchandising hit. And we gave those licensing rights to George Lucas for the merch. And that's how he made all of his money. So let's not make the same mistake twice. If Alien, this R-rated movie about an alien impregnating a man with its spawn that bursts out of its chest, which then stalks a woman through the corridors of a space-born oil derrick, hits big with the kids, Mm -hmm. we better have some action figures ready. You know, for kids. And they... Not surprisingly, they only made one action figure before they shut down this enterprise. And this was the alien, an 18-inch high alien figurine with a full phallic head and protruding mandibles and all its H.R. Giger-designed mechanosexual grotesquerie. They made this for children. And this is what I received for Christmas that year. And even as I opened it in Philadelphia, visiting my mom's family, as we did every year, I was horrified and baffled because I knew this thing is shouldn't exist. Yeah, it's distressing. <laughs> it's, w- it's weird and distressing to look at. And even at the age, I, I was like, I felt sad for my mom's sisters who bought it for me, going to the store, looking at this thing, being like, ugh, well, JK would probably like this. That's what they call me, JK. Because even though they were and are five very close sisters from a working class Catholic neighborhood in Philadelphia, and I was this godless, strange only child raised by their oldest sister in an affluent suburb of Boston, uh, trained only to read Edward Gorey and watch Monty Python and bring a briefcase to school, you know, I was a prime <laughs> weirdo. They loved me and they loved my mom, the only one of them to leave Philadelphia. And they loved me and they went to the store and they found this disturbing, incomprehensible oddity that looked like a mockery of humanity. And they thought, JK would probably like this. This seems up his alley. Yeah. But they were wrong. I didn't like it, to paraphrase. You didn't have enough slime on it. You were upset. I loved it. I loved it. (laughs) I loved that alien figurine. I mean, I was a smart kid. I was already attuned to the meta-narrative. I loved the fact that it should not exist. It was a weird cultural artifact. And then a couple of years later, Joseph Joe Dropkin, my friend from Heath Elementary School in Brookline, came over to my house to play ColecoVision or whatever. And he accidentally sat down on my alien figurine and broke it, broke its leg out of its leg socket. And I never forgave him. I wrote about it in my books. I've talked about it on this podcast frequently, starting all the way back in episode 11. It was a plot device in my never made pilot script only child where I say Joe Joe Dropkin broke my alien figurine and I will never forgive him. You can listen to that as a table read over in Dead Pilot Society here at Maximum Fun, episode two, I think, of Dead Pilot Society. Great podcast. 
It was a joke that I, I would say over and over again. Joe Dropkin sat on my alien and I will never forgive him. And it was a joke because, of course, I forgave him eventually. When things break and you can't put them back together again, it hurts. I kept that broken alien for a long time with its busted butt and it hurt. But I could never get rid of it until sometime I did. And it was a joke. And yet I was never entirely sure if Joe Dropkin had ever heard the joke. And if he had or whether he understood that it was a joke. I never found out. And then Suzanne wrote me just the other week to say that Joe had heard the joke and he got the joke and he loved hearing me talk about his, quote, big booty smashing that alien. I guess I said that back in episode 11, his big booty smashed that alien. And it was ironic because the alien itself was broken in the booty. The leg snapped out of the mechanosexual alien butt cheeks. And Joe had even, said Suzanne, Joe had even tried at one point to find a replacement for me just to pay the joke off and pay me back. But Joe uh, had pancreatic cancer uh, for the past uh, four years, and he died last year in July, which I didn't know. So I regret not keeping up with Joe Dropkin other than trading nice words with him on Facebook. Uh, but then apparently somehow missing the fact that he had passed away. I knew he had cancer. He was very obviously a wonderful guy and husband and a caring and devoted member of a synagogue and an amazing weird dad with a great big booty. I'm so grateful that he got the joke, but I really, really regret that I never, to the best of my memory, I never reached out to him just to say, remember, this is a joke. I love you. I love you, Joe. Uh, I forgive you. I always did. There's something beyond this life. I want you to know that someone heard our story at one point, many years later, and got me a replacement vintage 1979 Kenner alien figurine. And guess what? That one broke too in my hands as I lifted it up. They were junk. I know that you know, Joe, humans are better than things. So thank you, Suzanne, for reaching out to me. Jesse, I dedicate this episode to the memory of Joe Dropkin and his big booty. And I promise... Joe Dropkin and all the children of the world. There's a lot of big booty content in this episode, so I hope you all enjoy it. Thank you. You know, Joe had another claim to fame. What's that? The song Honky Tonk Badonkadonk was written about him. <laughs> I forgot that that's true. I forgot that that's absolutely true. Honky Donk Badonkadonk, written about Joe, Joe, Joe Dropkin's big booty. You knew him. I didn't. I, I hope that's the kind of thing he would have enjoyed. Yeah. Bill Paxton couldn't smash an alien. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. It was game over, man, for Bill Paxton, but Joe Dropkin's big booty, boom. Just sit on it. That's what they, that's what they should have done the whole time. Sit on that alien. <laughs> it was a really golden age for sitting on it. <laughs> sit on it, Potsy. Why didn't you ever think of that, Sigourney Weaver, my hero? Did you try sitting, <laughs> sitting on it and breaking its butt? It had a well-defined butt. Look it up online. You can just see it was really well sculpted, this toy. Really well sculpted. And, and you probably never saw the alien butt in the movie, but you could definitely see the alien butt on the figurine. Is an alien's butt alien leg? Let's get into the docket. Here's a case from Lisa in Escondido, California. Hello, Your Honor. This dispute is between me and my dad. We'll occasionally stay up late and video chat. My dad lives in Texas and he will go to bed around 2 a.m. his time. Mm. I stay up here in California until 1 a.m. my time. My dad is convinced he's going to bed earlier than me because he's asleep before I am. I say I'm going to bed earlier as my clock reads an earlier time when my head hits that pillow. What do you think? I don't honestly know what damages I'm searching for except to be proven right. It's all we ever want. Jesse, this, this one reads like a logic puzzle, like a logic math puzzle that you would get in seventh grade math, right? Yeah, you go into class, sit down, they'd give you that little, a little nugget to work on and get your brain warmed up. Yeah. A train is moving east at 200 miles per hour, obviously not in the United States because we don't have infrastructure yeah. to support that. Which passenger is lying? Uh, the, the answer is, um, uh, the, the doctor was a woman. Yeah. Yeah. The bullet was made of ice. The bullet was made of ice and the leg of lamb was the murder object, the murder <laughs> object, the weapon. 
All right, let's figure it out. If Lisa and her father speak till 2 a.m. Texas time, that's central mountain, no, central time, not mountain time. And they both go to bed at 1 a.m. California time, that is, say, Pacific time, which one arrives at the train station of Slumberland first? So, uh, Lisa, you know how to use websites. <laughs> Took me a long time to figure this one out, even with websites. But Lisa, you know that 1 a.m. in California is 3 a.m. Central. Therefore, if your dad goes to bed at 2 a.m. Central, he has been asleep for an hour by the time your head hits that pillow. Check my math, Jesse. Am I right there? Am I right or am I wrong or am I right? That's absolutely correct. And I just want you to know that uh, we took a standardized version of those little logic questions at the beginning of my seventh grade math class, and I got the best overall score for the year in the state. Really? It's true. Oh, did you get a little? Uh, did you get a little medal or something, or a little? I didn't get nothing. I didn't get nothing. <sighs> you know it what? was only even told to me in the context of what a disappointment I was. You know, uh, the the gift giving season is coming. What was the? What was the? It was a standardized logic puzzle. Yeah. Test for the whole state. You got for the whole state of California. State of California top logician, top junior top. logician, number one in the state for the course of the year got an idea for a gift for the for this holiday season. Remind me, Jennifer Marmer. It's a trophy that says, why don't you do your homework? <laughs> it's not going to be a trophy. It's not going to be a trophy. It's not going to be a trophy. It's not even going to be anything I just talked about. I'm just going to buy everything there is on Put This On Shop, all the items. Great. And then I'm going to ship them to you in a crate. Oh, thank goodness. It's a nice gift, right? It would be perfect inventory for my shop. Exactly. All right. So, yeah, your dad in the universe is going to sleep before you are. Therefore, he is going to sleep earlier. That said, Lisa, even though you're both staying up late to talk to each other in video chat, which, by the way, is adorable. Midnight chats between dads and adult children. That's a delight. A couple of night owls, cutie pie night owls out there. Mm -hmm. But your father is technically staying up later in the context of his day or night specifically, right? I mean, it's like if you both have to get up at 6 a.m. in the morning relative time, he is staying up later. It's his sleep cycle that's being messed up. He is staying up later than you are on these adorable midnight chats. And I can only conclude that this is because he loves you a little bit more than you love him. That's probably true. Yeah, seems right. Right? He's messing up his sleep cycle. So you can do with that what you want. But I got to come down on the side of time zones here. He's going to bed an hour before you are. It doesn't care what, it doesn't matter what your clock says. Am I wrong on this, Jesse? I mean, you live in a world of absolute truth. That's right. I believe in the inherent subjectivity of truth. So I guess it's just a philosophical difference that we'll never be able to bridge. Yeah. Are you telling me to do my own research? <laughs> <laughs> Got it. I know where you're, I know where you're coming from. I'm ready, willing, and able to play road games for the Brooklyn Nets. Just because I can't set step foot into the Barclays Center. All right. Uh, I stand for absolute empirical truth. And the truth is, uh, dad's going to bed early, Lisa. And I don't know what you're trying to win from this argument, but please enjoy having fun conversations with your dad. Tell him we say hi. Here's something from Dustin in Phoenix, Arizona. My wife and I were preparing a meal and we're looking for some snacking cheese to assist in this. Quotation marks around snacking cheese. This is something they say in their house, snacking mm -hmm. cheese. Okay. My wife fetched some and requested a knife with which to cube it. Fetch me some snacking cheese, won't you, dear spouse? <laughs> oh, wait, wait, I want to say this sentence. My wife fetched some snacking cheese and requested a knife with which to cube, period. That's a great sentence. Love it. Might I have a blade <laughs> that I could cube? I wish to cube. I presented her with the chef's knife, which was already in use for the meal and had been wiped down after its last job. She was outraged that such a huge, quote, butcher knife, unquote, would be used for the task of cutting a bit of semi-soft cheese. Mozzarella. Outraged, Jesse. Outraged. I objected as a pedant that this was not a butcher's knife, but was in fact a chef's knife. 
which is multifunctional. My wife, to my horror, selected a serrated steak knife for this job. Her objection to the chef's knife was to its size. My objection to the steak knife is in the serration, and also that another utensil would have to be cleaned. Please help us identify who is at fault. Is it my pedantry or her fear of my Japanese-style chef's knife? <laughs> Uh, you know, first of all, Dustin in Phoenix, Arizona, boarding zero of the Great Lakes, so there is no Great Lakes speech report this episode. Sorry, everyone in the world. You know, my recommendation to spouses uh, who live together and, and presumably sleep in the same room is that they, the ideal sleeping situation is if they have the means to get the largest bed they can, and if they really have the means, they should get uh, separate uh, sleeping villas connected by a reflecting pool. In your case, I have a specific recommendation for your household in this kitchen full of knives and outrage, which is that I hope your kitchen is equipped with not one, but two fainting couches. (laughs) (laughs) And a full complement of smelling salts. (laughs) And a full complement of Himalayan pink smelling salts. (laughs) I have, I really appreciate the 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 outrage that you are feeling about this. I just want to say something first about uh, cubes. Jesse Thorne, do you know that the cube as a form basically does not exist in nature? It is very hard for nature to naturally form a cube, or I shouldn't say that it's difficult, but nature doesn't usually do it. Every now and then, you'll get a piece of ro- a piece of rock or sand that is almost cubic. For the most part, a cube is a human. Whether it's cheese or any form, it is created by humans. It's a non-natural form. Did you know that? Yeah, that's why we have dominion over the beasts. <laughs> oh, are you so sure? That's a tease <laughs> for later. Oh, wow. Meanwhile, back to this. All right. There's a lot to unpack here. First of all, there's a big brag at the end. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, after all of this verbiage, Dustin drops in that he's got a Japanese-style chef's knife. I'm not sure what he's meaning by that. Does that mean it's a Santuco? knife, which is a, a traditional Japanese chef's knife that has kind of a rounded front and kind of a wider blade. It looks a little bit different from a standard Western chef's knife could be called maybe more a butchery in style. I don't know. Or does this mean he's got a fancy, a fancy pantsy regular chef's knife manufactured in Japan, a lot of which you see with um, what they call Damascus steel, that folded steel ripply element that looks so pretty and you can charge so much more money for it. I don't know, but it's a brag one way or the other. And I don't love to reward pedantry and I don't love to reward bragging. Second of all, mozzarella as snacking cheese. Jesse, what's your favorite snacking cheese, would you say? I like aged Gouda. Yeah. Yeah. How old do you like it? Five years? Seven years? I believe uh, that the particular Gouda I purchase from a local local trader here in Southern California named Joe. Joe. Mm-hmm. Is a 3,000-day Gouda, which would make it a roughly five-and-a-half, six-year-old Gouda. They measure it by days? Well, you know, precision is important yeah. uh, in <laughs> in any trading relationship. <laughs> and naturally, Goudas are not formed in cubes. That has to be done by human, human intervention if you're going to get yeah. a tray full of cubed Goudas. But you can do it. You can cube a Gouda. This gouda is too dry. You would you would uh, have be, to would sort of flake the gouda. Yeah, right, right. But a lot of semi, you can. There are a lot of younger goudas you, that you can cube. You can sure. cube a gouda. You can cube a gouda. Absolutely, goud. like right. a like a younger, like a smoked gouda. Maybe that's a nice snacking cheese. Yeah, or like a like a hey, the pride of nineteen eighty eight Havarti Dill Havarti. Mm-hmm. That's a cheese you can cube pretty easily. Yeah. Have that in nineteen eighty eight. Enjoy it with uh, some sun dried tomatoes. Yeah. And uh, a kiwi flavored beverage. <laughs> a little pesto on top on a little yep. baguette from Old Bon Pan. Boom. Sure. Time travel to Harvard Square, 1988. Let's go to the Tasty and then check out Out of Town News. All that is gone now, gone forever. Go buy some comic books of Newbury Comics. The point is, I've seen mozzarella in a lot of forms, shreds, I've seen fresh mozzarella. You know, that's not a cube. It's not natural. It's a, a ball of mozzarella in uh, 
in a milky brine or whatever. I'm not sure what mozzarella you're Cuban here. You know what I mean? Is there are there bricks of mozzarella you can get? Like a brick of a low moisture, like pizza a low moisture part skim. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. You want whole milk if you're making pizza. Yeah, my favorite snacking cheese traditionally that was cubable was a turkey, which is a Basque sheep's milk cheese. Hmm. Uh, really loved it. I used to call it the the monarch of cheeses. Um, sure. I, <laughs> That's why it's known as such to this day, the world over. <laughs> if you find if you find a turkey, and it's not that difficult to find, but if you find it still with the with the label on it, it'll say a turkey, the monarch of cheeses, in quotation marks, John Hodgman. Main humorist. Main humorist, former cheesemonger, 1991. Co-host shooting the breeze. That's right. But uh, while while it still wears that crown, I have tired of it. I have tired of monarchy. I prefer. I've gone into weird dad territory, and you know what I'm looking for now? I'm looking for junk cheese that has hot peppers in it. I like that now. Hmm. A cube of a of a habanero Monterey Jack cheese. I'll enjoy that. Anything dumb and spicy, just like any old dad. I don't get the mozzarella that you guys are cubing, but let's just say for the sake of argument. Jesse Thorne, if you were cubing a brick of semi-soft cheese, would you use a chef's knife or would you use a serrated steak knife? By which I mean not a bread knife, not a big thing, but just, you know, like a, a, a regular size table knife that has serrations in it so you can cut steak or meat with it. I would use a chef's knife. Use a chef's knife, of course. Yeah. Because the serrations are going to shred the cube going to make a unclean cube and you can't get the blade down to the cutting surface comfortably right to cut all the way through the cheese block yeah because the blade's too short you're going to be you're you're going to have to do an angled motion whereas with a chef's knife the the length of the blade allows you essentially to guillotine it down yeah and the position of the handle as well. When you're making a cube of cheese, what you're trying to do is mock nature. Do something nature can't do. Make a perfect cube. You don't want to ruin it with the serration. And not only is there nothing wrong with using that chef's knife, so long as as it is clean, it's better. It's better for the job. And Dustin, your argument about dirtying another knife is stupid because you're going to have to clean that chef's knife again after you cube your cheese. Everything's going to have to get clean, but using the right tool for the right job, I have to, I have to go with Dustin in this case. I do not understand. I do not understand or comprehend Justin's spouse's outrage, but I hope she recovers from her fit of peak soon. Let's take a quick break to hear from this week's partner. We'll be back with more cases to clear from the docket on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. I also have a Japanese chef's knife. You're listening to Judge John Hodgman. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. Of course, the Judge John Hodgman podcast always brought to you by you, the members of MaximumFun.org. Thanks to everybody who's gone to MaximumFun.org slash join. And you can join them by going to MaximumFun.org slash join. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Aura. A-U-R-A. It's a simple but meaningful gift that you can give your mom or your dad or your step-grandparent or your uncle or your friend or anyone that you want to keep connected in your life who might not live near you. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things that those friends can't be there for, from family vacations to grandkids' graduation to whatever. I have one of these, and I got one for my dad. And I got one for my mother-in-law, and it's amazing. We look at the photos all day long, and we're able to easily update their Aura frames so they see all the latest pictures from our lives as well. It comes with unlimited storage, simple controls on the frame. You can upload as many photos as you want, and your mom or your dad or your stepdad or your stepmom or your friend or whatever can pick the perfect one. And it takes only about two minutes to set up, seriously. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, uh, The Strategist, and Wired Magazine. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. 
For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code Hodgman. That's A-U-R-A frames.com, promo code Hodgman. Terms and conditions apply. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Babbel. Okay, it's 2024. Oh, if hindsight were 2020, I I don't know what I would have done differently. All I know is that I'm taking every day in this year and trying to get better a little bit every day. That's what you do. That's the way progress is made, step by step, day by day, bird by bird. And that's the way it is when you're learning anything, especially a new language with Babbel. And if Babbel can help you start speaking language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in the rest of this whole year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars to private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts, real human beings, to help you start speaking a new language in as little as one, two, three weeks. Studies from Michigan State University, Yale University, and others continue to prove that Babbel is better. And that's not just the Yale football team putting their thumb on the scale because they love learning Indonesian from Babbel. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Take that, Yale, I guess. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but this is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Hodgman. Welcome back to the Judge John Hodgman podcast, the only Japanese chef's knife podcast uh, that's won a Webby Award for Best Comedy Podcast. This right. week, we're co-hosted clearing- by, Co-hosted by a junior state logician champ. And the co-host of the famous cheese podcast, Shooting the Breeze. Shooting the Breeze. An Here's annual a case. Or biannual podcast about cheese. Let's, what's, what's this case coming from? It's from Sonoma, California. Oh. Home of Traintown. Dear Judge John Hodgman, which are fancier, ducks or geese? I say ducks. My wife says geese. It's one of the greatest letters I've ever received. Absolutely rules. First of all, it's direct and to the point. There, This is the, the entire letter. Second of all, it is absolutely ridiculous and frivolous, and yet it is necessary to answer. You immediately need to know which is fancier, ducks or geese. Jesse, do you have a, a thought on this one? Which is fancier, ducks or geese? This is a tough one for me to say. Yeah. Because both are beautiful and malevolent creatures. <laughs> sure. And- each category contains many subcategories. There are some truly extraordinary ducks out there, John. There definitely are. But have you ever seen the Sebastopol goose? Sebastopol? It's yeah. a bisonoma. Yeah, it's also a kind of goose. Where do you want it, Jesse? In your text or in the chat? Throw it in the chat, baby. All right. I'm going to throw it in the chat. Got to open the chat. I want it over there at Train Town in Sonoma. Check out this goose. Just threw it in the chat there for you. Wowie zowie. <laughs> This thing's a beauty. It's a beaut of a goose, isn't it? This thing looks like when Bjork dressed up as a swan for the Oscars. This goose is as beautiful as Icelandic pop legend Bjork. Jennifer Marmer, you're you're raising your arms in triumph. Yeah. Did you also see the Bjork resemblance? Yeah, that was the first thing I thought of when I saw that beautiful goose. Also, I wanted to... Shout out to Christian Duenas, fellow producer at Maximum Fun. He went as Bjork wearing that outfit for Halloween this year, and it was spectacular. From now on, that's no longer a Bjork costume. That's a sexy Sebastopol goose costume. <laughs> Big time. Well, I have this photo up. As soon as I get permission from poultryhub.org to post this photo of a Sebastopol goose, you can see it for yourself over there at the show page at MaximumFun.org as well as our Instagram account at Judge John Hodgman on Instagram. But this is a white, this is like, it's it's almost like a mythological creature because it's got the neck of a head of, and your standard white goose. But from the neck down, it looks like it's wearing a beautiful coat of fluffy feathers. Uh, this is the fluffiest goose I've ever seen. Extraordinary. And I really have to be, I really am grateful to the letter writer, Greg, for giving me the opportunity to Google fancy geese, because I never would have had heard of the Sebastopol <laughs> goose 
which is a very fancy goose indeed. But when you Google fancy ducks, oh God, or whatever, what a journey into fanciness you will enjoy. There is at least <laughs> one super fancy goose. <laughs> but when you look at the Harlequin duck or the King Eider or the Longtailed duck or the Hooded Merganser or the Pink-Eared duck or the Smew duck or the Spectacled Eider or the Surf Scoter, huh, Jesse, check a, take a look at the Surf Scoter. I'm putting this guy in the chat. These are all real ducks. This is a photo of a Surf Scoter, according to the, according to the caption, Surf Scoter eating a clam. Sometimes it's called a skunk-headed coot for old skunkhead. <laughs> clam. It's eating a clam. Shell and all, I would think. Does it have a nose pass through? It's found in the coastal waters of the North American Pacific and Atlantic during the summer. This little eye, like, ooh. <laughs> this is all from a website called treehugger.com. Specifically, treehugger.com slash unbelievable wild duck species. And I haven't even gotten to the white-faced whistling duck, the bicoteal, the beautiful wood duck. I mean, the wood duck is a, a one of the only animals that has. Oh, I love clams. <laughs> the wood duck is one of the only animals that has all of the colors of the rainbow in its plumage. It's a beautiful looking duck, the ruddy duck and the northern shoveler. Uh, can't talk. I'm eating clams. <laughs> but the monarch of cheeses of fancy ducks, of course, Jesse Thorne, can only be the Mandarin duck. I'm putting this one in the chat now. For you to, I mean, you're not even going to enjoy this one. You're just going to marvel at its beauty. Oh, it's extraordinary. It's extraordinary. No wonder it's such a popular brand of backpack. <laughs> the Mandarin duck is an extraordinarily fancy duck, fancier even than the wood duck. And this particular Mandarin duck, Jesse, you may know, was a social media star of 2018 and 2019 when this Mandarin duck of unknown origin showed up in the pond in Central Park and people went bananas for taking pictures of this duck because it is so, so fancy. And uh, the New York Magazine dubbed it Hot Duck, but <laughs> Gothamist gave it a better name, which is Mandarin Patinkin. They named it after Mandy Patinkin. Yeah, it's a great name. People got so excited about this duck that the, they would crowd, like there are photos on the Wikipedia page of people like almost murdering each other to get closer to this duck to take its picture. It caused ecological problems in the wetlands surrounding the pond. And, uh, and not, not, not everyone loved this duck. Indeed, the head of the orn ornithology department of the American Museum of Natural History, who I will not name because uh, this person sounds like a jerk. Said that, said that Mandarin Patinkin is what they call a, quote, plastic duck because it did not appear here in nature. It clearly was a pet duck that got free and was sold in a pet shop. And then it got free somehow and the owner would not claim it because apparently it is illegal to keep a duck as a pet in New York City laws. Who, who likes them? Nobody. And so this director of ornithology, the Museum of Natural History, who I shall not name because uh, also said that this duck had ornithological interest, colon, zero. I disagree. Wow. I disagree. Respectfully. This is a fancy duck. But Mandarin Patinkin did not need this kind of treatment, up with which it would not put. And in 2019, it left the pond. We do not know where Mandarin Patinkin is now. I hope that uh, they are doing okay. But they leave behind only a memory, a legacy of fanciness. Ducks are more fancy, Greg. Fancier than geese. Sorry, Sebastopol geese. You're out of here. Here's something from Bailey in Coralville, Iowa. My cousin Sarah and I disagree as to whether a dolphin has a butt. Uh-huh. She thinks the butt is by the tail. Mm. I maintain that in order to be a butt, it has to relate mm -hmm. to an anus. 
please order Sarah to acknowledge that a dolphin does not have a butt. Well, this is an interesting philosophical question, Jesse, because how can there be butt if there is no leg? That's a really good point. How can there be butt if there is no flap? How can there be butt if there is no cheek? Can there be butt? Well, I am here to tell you that Googling, quote, dolphin anus, unquote, <laughs> was not the trip into horror that I expected it to be. I am happy to tell you that all of the top hits were perfectly reasonable scientific charts and observations of how a dolphin poops. And indeed, a dolphin has an anus. It is concealed within a slit on the bottom of its body at the base of its tail, sort of where the tail kind of meets the body, if you can picture it. It is not, as I, th now I'm not really sure what Cousin Sarah means by the dolphin's butt is by the tail. By this definition, yes, the dolphin's butt is definitely by the tail because it is near the base of the tail. But I think, and can only imagine, that the point of dispute here is that Sarah says that the butt indicates the end of the dolphin, that is the end of the tail, that is the fin. And that is not true. The butt is not the end of the dolphin it, it, no more than your butt, the human butt that we all have, is the end of us. That is kind of the middle side of us. So I am going to go ahead and settle this in favor of Bailey in Coralville, Iowa. She is correct. The butt pertains primarily to anus, not the end of the creature. But there are many, many great butts in nature. Jesse Thorne, did you know that? Many great butts in nature. It's part of nature's majesty. It's part of nature's majesty. Do you know that the manatee eats a lot of underwater vegetation that makes it very gassy? I knew about the vegetation. I didn't know about the gas. Yeah, yeah. And they, and you, you, they, they have a butt too. And they fart to propel themselves. It sounds like my uncle wasn't really the world's largest source of natural gas. No, no. His novelty hat lied. Not farter of the year, mm -hmm. which is a t-shirt that was pointed out on the boardwalk of Ocean City, New Jersey. Our daughter pointed out and said, we should got that for dad. She said that yeah. to my wife and whole human being life partner. And my wife and whole human being life partner said, yeah, that's funny. I'm like, what are you not telling me? <laughs> Too many snacking cheeses. You know what's interesting about the poops of a wombat? The anus and the poop of a wombat? Is it cubic in shape? A wombat poops cubes and no one knows why. It is one of the only naturally formed cubes in nature. The wombat poop. Look it up. It's uncanny. No one understands why. And they're very interested in how a wombat rectum forms a cube of poop to expel through a round anus. How does it happen? Engineers would like to know, because forming cubes is hard, not easy. And apparently, so is the wombat poop. It's one of the driest poops on Earth. Wombat poops are very hard. That's why they can maintain their cubic shape, because they are getting all the moisture out of that poop before they get rid of it. It's like, a, it's like they're living on Dune. Sorry, I don't know a lot about Dune. I'm more of a Zune guy. <laughs> of course. Which do you want to hear about first? There are two more. It's your, it's your choice. You know what, Jennifer Marmer, it's your choice. Would you like to hear about the anus of the parrotfish or the anus of Australia's Mary River turtle? Give me that turtle. All right. Turtle. Mary River turtle, endangered turtle in Australia. So many think that it is, many think that the duck-billed platypus is the strangest creature to come out of Australia. And those people are correct. But second strangest for sure <laughs> is the Mary River turtle which is a turtle that not only has a long arms and legs that like really stick out of its shell and float around, but it's got a, it's got a long tail sticking out of its shell as well. And on that long tail, there's a cloaca, AKA a herpetological anus. And that cloaca breathes air. It's got gills in its butt. Wow. It can stay underwater. I regret asking for this. Yeah. Well, you're going to hear it one way or the other. It's extraordinary. Nature's majesty. 
But let me tell you Let's about- Marty Stauffer in here. Let me tell you about the parrotfish. Parrotfish of the Pacific, they feed on coral reefs, live coral reefs, coral polyps. And they eat them. They got teeth. They grind them down. Their body grinds them down. And they poop out a little something we call sand. That's right. 85% of the soft sand beaches on Hawaii. That's parrotfish poop, everybody. The humphead parrotfish can produce 200 pounds of sand per year. You would not have sandy beaches were it not for the remarkable anus of the parrotfish. Truly, truly the anus is a wonderful thing across all of these species. Thank you for asking me about how a dolphin poops and where its butt is. Its butt is its anus slit. And this is the end of big booty content on Judge John Hodgman. You're welcome, Judge Ropkin. I hope you enjoyed it. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get an update from some past litigants, John, about a spooky shed. Or as my youngest child, Frankie, would call it, a pooky shed. A pooky shed. My kid would call it a suki shed. (laughs) (laughs) My children would call it a spooky shed because they're adults now and I don't get to talk about how cute they are. And they want to buy me farter of the year shirts. That's pretty cute. It It is cute. Enjoy your babies. Let's go to the break. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. The podcast about cute ways our children say things. Coming up after the credits, Jesse will sing a song written by his 10-year-old that is dedicated to knob TVs, vintage televisions where you change the channels by turning knobs. Cannot wait. After the credits, you say? I'll be sticking around. After the credits, I'm going to perform an original song by Grace Thorne, my 10-year-old, who has been walking around the house singing this song about knob TVs, her current greatest passion. And why not? Turning that dial to get those UHF... Turning it into Channel 25 to watch Star Blazers. That was a great feeling. You know, my in my house, my father's house, yeah, had maybe a 10-inch black and white television. Ooh. This is well, well into the 1980s. Right. We're talking about 1989 or something. Oh, yeah. Havarti cheese was already out of style. <laughs> exactly. People had moved on to Clearly Canadian. <laughs> um, and... Uh, uh, we really did have a television where the knob was broken and you changed the channel with a wrench. Classic. Classic yeah. TV hack. Exactly. Here's a case from Gabriella in St. Louis, Missouri. I have a one and a half year old cat named Pippin. Since I adopted him in June of 2021, I have derived an infinite amount of joy from watching him sleep at my feet while I work at my desk. Recently, He's discovered my warm and cozy closet and has begun sleeping in there, out of my view. I've started closing the closet door to encourage Pippin to hang out by my desk instead of in the closet. 
My identical twin sister, Liana, who lives in Norwalk, Connecticut, says that I'm denying Pippin of his God or whatever, given right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of coziness. (laughs) Liana requests an injunction from the court so that I no longer prioritize my own joy over Pippin's. I promise to send a billion cute Pippin photos for the Judge John Hodgman social media feeds to complement this dispute. Hmm. Jesse, I noticed that you you said Missouri, which is one of the ways people pronounce Missouri. Yeah, we're going to get mail. Look, yeah, my dad's my dad was from Missouri and he said Missouri, so he's dead now. I want his ghost to like me. Exactly. I noticed also when you mentioned Gabrielle's twin sister Liana, she lives in Norwalk, Connecticut, and then there's two words that you didn't say. Yeah, well, this is, I think, a typo or nonsense words. What, in the in the parentheses here, in the after yeah. it says who lives in Norwalk, Connecticut, and then there's a parenthetical that I yeah. didn't read because it's just a it's just a typo or nonsense words. It says New England. New, yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe Gabriella just sort of dropped something on her keyboard or something. I don't know. It was probably one of those migraines that makes you seem like you know you're saying crazy words or whatever i guess so i hope i hope maybe pippin walked across the keyboard pippin might have jumped up and walked across the keyboard yeah it's warm there keyboard's always warm mm-hmm. do you know that uh, when i did get your pets in honor of the maximum fun block party the other week we visited with the cat of um uh, or the two cats actually archie and panda the cats of uh, audrey and dan mccoy uh dan being of course one of the three hosts of the flop house well, that's nice and uh, Audrey showed me their cat Panda sprawled out in front of the keyboard on her desk. And she said, oh, yeah, this is Panda enjoying his retractable cat shelf. (laughs) (laughs) What others might call a keyboard tray. Yes, exactly. (laughs) It took me a long time. I was like, oh, that's a great idea. I'd love to have a retractable cat shelf on my desk and have a cat climb up there. But it's just the keyboard tray. And then do you know what happened, Jesse? What's that? They had a kitty condo. Do you know what that is? That's like a piece of cat furniture. Yeah. With places for the cat to hide. Yeah. It's like a, a little mini tree house made of wall-to-wall carpeting for the cat with a little hutch. And I said, uh, you know, I've always had a fantasy of being a cat and going into one of those things where you put your phone into it and have it face out so I can feel like I'm inside the hutch. And then you and Dan just have a normal conversation, like I'm a cat spying on you. And they did it. And it was one of the most profound experiences I've ever had in my life. Sitting in, <laughs> sitting inside that hutch, feeling small, listening to them talk about, have you seen our cat John lately? I don't know where he is. Check the hutch. I was like an out-of-body experience. I couldn't speak for a little while. It was so intense. Telling you, we're going to be able to do things with virtual reality. They're going to build, build empathy across across the uh, species, across the world. It's going to be incredible. But anyway, to when this. you left your reverie, there were just a few feathers at the corner of your mouth. <laughs> Fancy uh, no, feathers. I'm, no, 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 no. I'm an indoor cat. I'm a, a friend called you and said, "Did I just see you in Central Park?" <laughs> no, I'm an indoor cat. I am frankly declawed. But back to this letter. I take some issue with the hyperbole that Gabriella is offering here. Uh, an infinite amount of joy, a billion pictures. First of all, we don't want a billion pictures of your cat. I'm sure Pippin is delightful. A billion is too many. We get a lot of pictures of pets and I love, I love them. I love them all. But first of all, A, you didn't give us even one, Gabriella, so I don't even know what we're talking about here. And B, I'm not going to show Jesse Thorne a picture of a pet just because it's cute. All pets are cute. The pet has to be doing a cute thing. Yeah. That's, I mean, ultimately, that's a distinction that so many pet owners miss. If you're going to share a picture of your pet with your favorite podcast host, that's great. But let's have that pet do something cute or be a scruffy dog. Either way, it's a win. Or... Let it be a Mary River turtle, like the one I just dropped in the chat, Jennifer and Jesse. Yeah. From your description, that definitely sounds like something that I want to look at. Well, why don't you take a look and see what you think? No, that's okay. No, please. Can, no, that's fine. You can. I'm here. It is in the, it's in the chat. It's right there in the chat. It's sort of your show. So I guess I have to. Well, we, we, we co-founded it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Wait, I thought it was going to be the, the tail butt. Nope. <laughs> He's got a little hat on. One thing I forgot to mention <laughs> about the Mary River turtle is that for some reason, algae grows on top of its head so it looks like it's wearing a Joker wig. Like a chia pet, like a turtle chia pet. Like a turtle chia pet. And I also but it also know. has a little, it's got a little pig nose and yeah. then it's got a, it's got a little grin on its face like... Algae on my head, ain't I a stinker? It's also got little fingers protruding from its chin. Those are little little fingies wow. that it has to 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 sort through the mud as it's looking for food. The Mary River turtle, extraordinary turtle. That is something. All right. Well, back to back to this case of cats and closets. Here's what I think, Jesse. Do you have an opinion on this? Is it okay to lock your cat out of? a room or a closet where you know it wants to go and hang out because you want it to hang out with you. The love of my life is my dog, Coco. You know that. Yeah. She's now 14 years old. Oh my goodness. I love her with all of my heart. She's getting deaf. She's a little blind. She moves a lot slower than she used to. She doesn't care to move all that much at all. And she's less interested in goofing around with me. Yeah. A lot of times she likes to go into the depths of my closet and curl up and nap for hours on end. Mm -hmm. And when she's not doing that, she's mostly peeing on my carpets. Mm -hmm. And I do miss her when she goes in there. Yeah. But I also think it is her right to live her life on her terms outside of the fact that I lock her up inside my house. <laughs> and only give her one kind of food that comes in pellet form. <laughs> Outside of those strictures. We mix in a special wet food for her. She's an, she's an autonomous being. She's getting older. But I think that doesn't mean that I couldn't create a situation more amenable to her spending time with me, such as... A cozy little spot under my desk. What if I did that? What if I put a little heating pad into a dog bed? Oh, I thought you were going to say you were going to rub Gainsburgers on your ankles. What if I rubbed Gainsburgers on my ankles? I don't even know what that means. That's the kind of dog food. Gainsburgers. Oh, okay. Gainsburgers dog food. I only The only dog food I recognize is Dick Van Patten. <laughs> Dick Van Patten's hobo chili for dogs. It's a real thing that existed. <laughs> Uh, well, here's what, I, yeah. I mean, in the case of an of a of a senior creature, you want them to enjoy their lives however they see fit, and I and I absolutely feel like yeah, Coco should go cuddle in that closet. There was an aged cat that lived with our friend Christine Connor when we were in high school, named Winnie, uh, who slept in the ashes of last night's fire. That was how she sought warmth. <laughs> Curl up in the ashes of the previous night's fire in the fireplace. That's incredible too. But Pippin, I'll point out, is a year and a half old, but but a youth, an adolescent, if you will, uh, a, a, a playful creature. And I think that it's, you know, Pippin, Pippin will find places that Pippin likes to be, and you should respect where Pippin likes to be. But uh, I think that it's okay to close the closet. Because not so much that because you have the right to force Pippin to cuddle with you. Pippin won't do that. Pippin will do whatever Pippin wants to do. But I think it's okay to close that closet because A, it's none of Liana's business. And B, if Pippin sleeps in the closet it's only a matter of time before he vomits in that closet and then is <laughs> is liana gonna climb into your closet and clean that cat vom off your shoes i don't think so that's gonna be your job i would investigate if you've got the space a kitty condo gabriella get a kitty condo and then pippin will have a little hutch to go into it is more in your view for example and then you will have a place to put me when I call you on Get Your Pets on Instagram because I want to get back in the hutch. Some people want to go back to the womb. I want to go back to the hutch. But in the meantime, Pippin's going to sleep wherever Pippin wants to sleep. Take the affection from a cat when you can get it. 
but you can't force it ever. But I do think it's okay to close the closet because that's going to be full of cat piss and vomit in any second. Judge Hodgman, the spooky season is over, but we have an update here from a former litigant named Sheila. You might remember her from episode 487, Brush with the Law. Yes. Uh, she wanted to paint her parents' shed with a very spooky theme. Spooky kind of Jack Skellington Adams family theme. A very ambitious spooky paint scheme. That's right. I remember. Her sister Elise preferred something more adaptable to the rest of the year. Right. And if I remember correctly, I ordered Sheila to paint the shed a more neutral gray, something that could be interpreted as spooky, but wasn't going to be outwardly Halloween-y all year long. So paint it gray, and then offset with uh, detailing with my favorite Dutch black glossy paint from Fine Paints of Europe. And then I did allow for one spooky element, a red door, and Sheila wrote and sent us photos of the end result. She said it took them a while to get started, but quote, once we got set up for the first coat, our dog Maverick immediately stepped in paint. We have photos of his handiwork as well as our mom, Holly, cleaning <laughs> his paw. You can tell from his face that he knows what he did. This is a pretty cute picture of a dog feeling shame. Would you agree, Jesse? Got to take a look at this picture. Yeah. Maverick. <laughs> He really did leave a perfect paw print. <laughs> they, hey, you named him Maverick, not compliant. Oh, look at Maverick's little face. Doesn't it look sad? He looks says, sad. "I got paint on my tootsie." <laughs> he got a painty paw, but Maverick all- is a beauty. Maverick, you can send me pictures of Maverick doing normal stuff. Maverick is delightful, and Sheila writes, "We're all happy with the final look." And if you scroll down. You can see the final look, and it is, frankly, I'm going to say that that's a spookier shed than if it had been decorated, quote unquote, spooky. I think they did a wonderful job yeah. of creating a spooky shed that's year-round appropriate. It's yeah. a light gray base with black trim and a red door. And it looks like there's a garden gnome by the red door, and I can't zoom in, but it looks like it might be a zombie garden gnome, which would be a great touch. I think that this is a perfect balance of pookie and not pookie. (laughs) Well, Sheila writes, we're all happy with the final look, and it encouraged us to spruce up the backyard beyond the paint job. So a great experience overall. And looking at this backyard and these two wonderful sisters and the zombie gnome and the spooky shed and the the backyard, I, in my uh, approximation of a Zelda Rubenstein from Poltergeist voice, will say, I pronounce this yard spruced. Zelda Rubenstein was from Poltergeist, Jesse. Got it. The docket is clear, and that's it for another episode of Judge John Hodgman. Our producer is Jennifer Marmer, our editor, Valerie Moffat. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesse Thorne and at Hodgman. We're on Instagram at Judge John Hodgman. Make sure to hashtag your Judge John Hodgman tweets, hashtag JJHO, and check out the Maximum Fun subreddit to discuss this episode. You can find that at MaximumFun.reddit.com. Submit your cases at MaximumFun.org slash JJHO or email Hodgman at MaximumFun.org. We'll talk to you next time on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Now, John, I promised that at the end of this week's program, I would share the latest original song by one of my children. This one is called Knob TVs. It's by my 10-year-old child, Grace. and This song is inspired by my daughter's passion for outdated technology. She's insisting at this time that a knob television is the only thing she wants for Christmas, despite the fact that she understands that knob televisions do not even show over-the-air television in 2021 when all of our television broadcasts are digital. I think this is something that you must and should honor, and I cannot wait to hear the song. This is you performing the song that is written by Grace, correct? Yeah, I think this is this Nam TV that she's imagining is just going to be on display in her room yeah. with the gray static on the screen, like the front window of Artists Television Access on Valencia Street in my childhood. <laughs> I think it's a fantastic nightlight and a, a wonderful curio. So uh, everyone in the world, here is the world debut of the song, which is called Knob TVs, as composed by Grace and performed by Jesse Thorne. We love our knob TVs. 
We treasure all Knob TVs. We worship Knob TVs. We bow down before Knob TVs. Wow. That had a, a feeling of collegiate glee club to it. An almost yeah, alma I mean, mater I, feel. I think as performed, it has a more reverential feeling, sort of like a, a hymnal right. sort of feel. Um, but I think, you know, in the great Glee Club context, uh, certainly where you went to college, where I think all Glee Clubs meet up in like a mausoleum or whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> then, yeah, sure. Mausoleum you. Uh-huh, Yeah. <laughs> All right. Make sure I get a copy of that, Jennifer Marmer. I'm going to see if I can get the Whiffenpoofs to do an arrangement. Yeah. We love our knob TVs. We treasure all knob TVs. We worship knob TVs. We bow down before knob TVs. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.